Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. series through the book of Genesis, and we pause today at chapter 32, beginning in the 22nd verse. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the four of Jabbok. And he took them and set them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of its joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to them, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said to him, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of this place Penal, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up upon him as he pressed through Peel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is in the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the seal of the thigh. If you haven't noticed in probably the last uh, year, handful of weeks that I've been here, I don't generally talk about sports very often in my sermons, so this is a, a one-time pass for you all. Because uh, I feel like it's relevant based upon my history and uh, today's message. So growing up, uh, I was I was big into sports. My dad loved baseball and football, and so I, I played those sports. But I also wrestled. And I wrestled all the way up until my freshman year in high school. And so I, I remember going to various tournaments and facing people from all over the state of Illinois. And it was 
quite the experience. Then when I get to high school, I decided that football was my better track, and so I uh, transitioned out of wrestling and played football for the four years that I was in high school. I wouldn't say I was the greatest wrestler. I wouldn't even say I was very good. I was pretty awful most of the time. And, but I did have some tournaments in my younger days when I actually placed in the top two or three in my weight category. And if you don't know anything about school wrestling, you're broken into age and weight, and you have to meet a certain weight class in order to wrestle within that. And so for most of my younger years of wrestling, I was in the very lightweight. I was a very small person all the way until high school. Uh, I think my freshman year, I weighed maybe a buck ten. It's not necessarily the case today. <laughs> so when I wrestled, uh, I was, you know, wrestling people my size. And sometimes I would prevail, and other times I would be pinned, or I'd lose based upon points. And so as I thought about this message and, and how Jacob encounters this man dead of night and wrestles with him it brought to a lot of reoccurring memories of my latter life. And I was pondering these and, and I got to think there's a lot of similarities between this message that's not necessarily obvious on the surface. If we survey scripture and we go to the points where God reveals himself to people, there's always a certain mystery to it. There's always something that kind of alludes to it, this particular person being God or this figure being God. For instance, when we will get to Moses, we will see that God reveals himself as a burning bush. Not necessarily a person, but a burning bush. And then we'll see the cloud the fire. We'll see all of this imagery used to portray God through the scriptures. But here we have this man who physically comes and wrestles with Jacob. It's a very interesting and mysterious story. It doesn't seem to kind of fit with the construct of scripture because up until this point, God isn't necessarily revealing himself in flesh to man. So let's dig into this particular text. What is happening with Jacob? He is fleeing right now, and he is essentially kind of on the run, if you would say. And he's been doing this for a number of years. About 20 years has passed since last Sunday to this Sunday. It sometimes feels like it, but 20 years. Give or take. So when we visited with Jacob last, he stole his brother's birthright and then steals the blessing from his father Isaac, which would have gone to Esau. And so Jacob now is on the run because Esau has threatened to kill him, and he flees to Lebanon, where he marries his uncle's daughters, Rachel and Leah. And from these two marriages, we actually get to see the constructs of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is a fairly important portion of the text that we don't always get to investigate or dig into. But what we have is the 
12 tribes of Israel coming out of this particular marriage between Rachel and Leah. And as we could put together the pieces of the puzzle, these 12 tribes end up playing an intricate role in the formation and the building of Israel. So much, in fact, that this is how we can trace the line of Jesus through the tribe of Judah, which then becomes a descendant of Jacob, which we know goes all the way back to Abraham, to see how the promise comes through Abraham's seed. And we'll dig into uh, the 12 tribes of Israel as we move into more of the book of Exodus and later into Joshua and things like that, where they actually begin to see themselves as a nation based upon the population of people. So we have this text in Genesis. It's really, again, another one that's shrouded in mystery. And we see Jacob now attempting, after all of these years of being on the run, he's going to try and reconcile with Esau. He's going to travel back to this land and, and, and give him an offering of his livestock and his servants in hopes that Esau doesn't kill him. But we get to verse 24 and we see that in the middle of the night when he is all alone, a man shows up and wrestles with him. They continue until dawn and the man that we see shows up notices that he's not going to prevail against Jacob. So he touches his hip socket. I've never put out a hip. I've dislocated my shoulders. But I've never put out a hip. I can only imagine the amount of force required to do such a thing. Now when I played football, I <coughs> dislocated my shoulder because of the missed tackle and the falling to the ground and all the, the fun stuff. And then I dislocated my other one while weightlifting. So I know that there takes some force to pull these bones out of their socket. But to just simply touch the hip socket and it blows out Jacob's hip. <coughs> it's quite an astonishing feat. I don't know of any uh, human in the history of the world that has such a strength to touch another person's hip and it completely blows it out. So as the day breaks, the man says to Jacob, let me go for the day is But Jacob, knowing that uh, what has happened through the night, he doesn't let the man go without a blessing. In fact, he says that if you are to go, then you are to bless me. And I found that this is a very important part of the story, as much of this is going to be for us. But this particular blessing turns into a promise, which then turns into Jacob's name being changed to Israel, which then leads us to the 12 tribes of Israel, which then leads us down the line to the birth of Jesus. So this blessing is exceptionally important, and we'll actually see it come again into Jacob's life later in his journey where his name is officially changed to Israel. And this blessing that is given to Jacob is much more than just a blessing that man can give. For instance, if I were to bless a person, I am just wishing to them well-being and good luck and good 
fortune and, and may God's grace be ever present in your life. I don't have any sort of physical power to grant to you anything other than just my best wishes. So when man blesses another man, as we see through scripture, it's essentially, I wish you good luck in your endeavors. And if we were to go and examine how the blessings are given from the father to the son, as the father is ending his life and the son is now picking up the reins, his father's saying, here's all of my wealth and my fortune. Good luck. That's basically how we could summarize the Old Testament blessings between man to man. But this blessing is much more profound than just a simple well-being, a, a good luck sort of wish. This blessing takes us into the history of humanity. Because it does not include any sort of material items. It doesn't include wealth or gaining land to inherit. But in fact, it's the changing of a name. As we have noted, Jacob's name will be changed to Israel. And then from this, we can tie in together all of these tribes that will soon become his descendants. So let's go a little deeper into the story. This mysterious man shows up in the middle of the night and wrestles with Jacob. If I were to ask you, who do you think this man is? I would venture to say we'll get a variety of answers just from this room. For instance, some might say it's Esau. Some might say that it's an angel of the Lord. You could even say it might even be the devil or Satan coming to wrestle with Jacob. And maybe you have seen how this thread of scripture moves and you would say that it is in fact God wrestling with Jacob. More so, and to be more specific, not just God, but the pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ wrestling with God. But more on that in a minute. So we have this story here, this mysterious man coming to wrestle Jacob. And I, I would venture to say, if I were to preach this sermon, it would be very easy for me to just turn and say, keep up your fights. If I were to give you a summarization of this message and just simply leave it at, keep your battle going. Keep wrestling. Keep fighting. Do so so that you will earn your blessing from God. But that's not what the story is telling us. It's not anywhere near the message of this passage. I know it sounds easy and it's good for us to cling to that we see Jacob wrestle with God, and so we should be wrestling with God, and we should be struggling and fighting in our prayer life, in our study life, in our devotional life to prevail in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. It's easy for us to just take a message and say, okay, how can I apply this to my life? How can I then construct my prayer life, my devotional life to mirror the struggle that Jacob had, that went all night 
to the very break of dawn when his hip was dislocated. See, what if we were to examine kind of the life of Jacob from the time that he deceives his brother Esau for the birthright all the way until this moment now, we know that Jacob is continuously struggling and wrestling with doubt. If we turn back to last week, we see that this was the first time that God comes to Jacob and he gives him a vision and a promise. So this is the first time in Jacob's entire life that God actually speaks to him. And then we get to today's text where God is wrestling with Jacob. And in all of this time in between, Jacob is continuously faced with struggles and doubt in his life. See, he believes in the promise of, that God has given to him and to his fathers, but yet his actions and his prayers reveal that he doesn't quite trust God. He was afraid and he doubted. So what happens? God takes on human form and he wrestles with Jacob and essentially lets Jacob win. Our lesson in all of this text is that God never forgets his promise. He never forgets his blessings. He comes to us at the right moment and at the right time and he continues to interrupt our lives for his purpose. So it may be true that while you persevere against God and you're wrestling with him, then again, it may not even be that. You may not persevere. You may not even overcome your struggles. You might be victorious and you could see blessings. But then again, you may not. And for reasons beyond our control, God operates in this manner that seems to just escape human reasoning. As the prophet Isaiah says about God, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. So when we come to this text, it's incredibly important for us to not be washed away with just an easy understanding of the text. For us to just say, we must persevere in our prayer and our lives and our walk with Christ in order to achieve or earn some sort of merit or blessing that God would give. In fact, as with all passages, there are layers to unpack. There are things for us to examine, and whole sermons can simply be preached upon just the various verse found in these passages. And so we have such a complexity of Scripture to handle that it would be a disservice to God's Word for us to just take that simple thought captive and move forward. For instance, this mysterious man, as I've mentioned a few times, comes to Jacob. And who is this? Who is this man? I mean, we, could, we could just say, okay, well, the text kind of says it might be God, but I don't really get where we're going to get context to it or understanding to it. But see, this is where not just looking at this passage, but examining all of Scripture, most importantly, examining how God reveals himself in the book of Genesis, we see that this, in fact, is God. And more specifically, this is the pre-incarnation 
of Jesus. And knowing this fact and knowing this belief or holding to this is exceptionally important. Here's what Luther says on this. He says, the wrestler is the Lord of glory, God himself, or God's Son, who has become incarnate and who has appeared and spoke to the fathers. For God in his boundless goodness felt very familiar with his chosen patriarch Jacob and disciplined him as though playing with him in a kindly manner. Again, I could spend probably the next hour breaking down what Luther said. Is that it is a complex text to deal with. But as Luther recognizes and as we can look back and point to in Scripture, this in fact is God in the flesh. Knowing this helps us to understand the promise that is, be, that is being given. And to see that this blessing that Jacob demands, this blessing is not one that an angel of the Lord can give. This blessing is not one that man can give. But one that essentially changes the entire history of the world. See, of this caliber, this is a blessing that only God can administer. This is only one that God can come forward and say, yes, this is your blessing, now go forward. This is one that holds true to his promises given and continues throughout Scripture to demonstrate that he acknowledges what he has originally promised to Abraham and Isaac and now to Jacob. To the patriarchs of the Jewish faith and now to the patriarchs of the Christian faith, these promises still echo through time. And more so, in fact, these promises are given and demonstrated to us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we as Christians can come and understand and hold to that this is an exceptionally important topic to see that it is God who comes to us, interrupts our lives, wrestles with us, changes our entire trajectory in life, and then goes on about his name. He comes to us, not only to test us, but to reveal himself to us. In the midst of our doubt and frustration, he comes to us. And he does so through a variety of methods. One being the sermon. Every time you come to church and you hear a sermon preached, Christ is present. Faith is being administered. Because where God's word is present, faith is present as well. We also will partake in the Lord's Supper. That is where Christ, again, is present. When you are baptized and the word is being spoken over you, Christ is present. When we pray, when we study, when we seek out the things that are righteous, God is present. And through all of these different measures, he reveals to us who he is and what his nature is like. It hasn't been apparent yet by this entire series that we've partaken on since weeks of the October time period. That is this one sort of stable, this thread that has been echoed. That we serve a God who interrupts our lives. 
This is the God that breaks into our lives and declares to us that we are now His. He wants to interfere with our normal habits, and He wants to wrestle with us. A God that comes to us, one that operates out of a promise and not the law, is most certainly the God that we want to serve. This passage is absolutely fantastic to study and dig into. We see so much of it being revealed about the nature of God. Most importantly, we see that this does not keep us from the promises. It shows us that God does not shy away from what he has promised. He does not forget them. Instead, he comes in the right time, in the right moment, and reveals to us and reminds us exactly what it is that he has given. So we can say that we do, in fact, wrestle with God from time to time in our lives, in our walk, and that is okay. But know that those who only believe, only those who believe, can actually wrestle with God. This promise isn't given to the whole world and to most, more specifically, unbelievers because they don't care for the things that are righteous. They don't care to wrestle with God over the things that are conflicting with them and their conscience and in their moral upholdings. They don't care to wrestle with God. But the Christian, we do. We get to come for in our prayer life and say, I am experiencing depression or anxiety, sadness, guilt, whatever the emotion is. Lord, help me. You cry out to God in these moments. And sometimes these moments span weeks or months or years of our lives. And when we feel like we are at the very last thread of our being, God comes to us. And he does so through various methods. One, as I mentioned, the sermon. The promise that is echoed each Sunday here at Stratford Lutheran. That we serve a God that interrupts our life. We serve a God that operates in the realm of promises and not one that operates in the law. So while I could summarize the sermon today and say, go forward and wrestle with God. Take all of your troubles and prevail against God. Ensure that you don't give up your fight. And to what end would that be for you? You would go home and you would ponder that and think, well, certainly I can't prevail against God. Certainly I can't even begin to struggle or wrestle with God in my prayer life, my devotional life. Certainly I would fall short. But in reality, the beauty of preaching the gospel is simply this, that there is nothing that you need to do in order for this passage to resonate with you. See, this is the promise given that Christ comes to Jacob and he gives him a promise saying, I will change your name and then from you, the nation of Israel will be born. And then from your seed, Christ will come. And we can turn and say, because of this promise, Christianity exists today. Because we didn't have Christ, if we didn't have the 
the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, we wouldn't be gathering here today. And so this passage is much more than just a simple, take this and go prevail against God, but it is take this and rest in it. This is freely given to you as a Christian to say, because of this, Christ is coming, Christ is redeeming, He has given me salvation and eternal life.